Welcome back to Latin Pulse. While we were on our extended hiatus in the past few months, probably the most significant development that we missed was the voting in Colombia, a vote that rejected a proposed peace treaty between the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, a rebel group called the FARC, and the Colombian government. The aftermath of that vote is still resonating through Colombian politics and diplomacy. We asked Adam Isaacson of the Washington Office on Latin America, WOLA, to give us an update on the peace process in Colombia. We recorded our conversation via Skype from Washington, D.C. Last night in the United States, we, we had what we might say is a, a surprise election result because of polls. Uh, we've lived through a summer with Brexit and the polling with that that many people criticize that that too was a surprise result. And so I wonder, would you include the plebiscite in Colombia as a surprise result as we are trying to head toward a peace with the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia? And, and now that process seems to be a, somewhat in a limbo state. I would absolutely uh, um, call the plebiscite result a surprise result and one that defied what the pollsters were finding, just like Brexit, just like the November 8th election in the United States. Um, the, the polls were actually getting pretty optimistic. Uh, in uh, the second half of September, most of them were over 60%, indicating that over 60% of Colombians were going to vote yes in favor of the peace accord. Um, that all seemed to have changed very quickly. Now, Myself and other people who uh, I, I talked with who had been through Columbia in that period, um, we noticed that every cab driver we talked to <laughs> and a lot of, uh, you know, any stranger that you came across sort of on the street tended to be uh, vociferously uh, in favor of the no. Um, so that, you know, that, that gave us pause. But, you know, despite that, I think I and almost everybody else expected the yes vote to at least win narrowly. Um, but instead it lost by the narrowest of possible margins. And so I, I wonder where we are in this process. There has been some talk that President Juan Manuel Santos will take this to the Colombian version of, of their Congress and and try to work it through there. Uh, is Are we going back to renegotiate everything? Where does this all stand? Well, they do have to renegotiate at least some of it. Um, the uh, the law that was passed that... that brought the plebiscite into being. The Constitutional Court in Colombia said President Santos cannot simply bring up the, or approve this accord. So it can't be this accord. It has to be a different accord. What they've done in a way that is uh, actually quite adult compared to what we've been watching in U.S. politics lately, um, leaders of the uh, No Coalition have met for a series of sessions with leaders of the, yes, I mean, mainly the government, that is, government negotiators, to hammer out some of the things that they would want to try to add to the peace accord. They came up with a, you know, a, you know just a whole exercise with matrices and spreadsheets, and they came up with a document that uh, I've not seen, but is it's more than 500 pages long and has uh, about 400 different uh, proposals for adjustments that uh, the no side would like to make to the talks or to the accord. Um, covering about 40 categories. Now, they're bringing those, I think they've sort of made a digest of that, and, and the negotiators have, uh, in the past week, brought that to Havana to discuss it with the guerrillas and to see what could be acceptable and what is not. Um, some things are. Probably some things are not controversial. A lot of it is is trying to define terms better uh, that were left vague in the accords. But then some things alter the, the whole model of the talks and probably won't fly. So imagine, we have to hope, that in the next few weeks, uh, out of Havana, they come to an agreement on an adjusted accord that takes into account at least some of the no-sides concerns. 
Um, if that happens, it's not clear what they'll do next. Um, if, they, if, if there's actually a new accord signed by Christmas, um, will they try to do another uh, uh, plebiscite so that it has sort of the legitimacy that popular opinion can give it? Awfully risky if they choose to go that way. Columbia law does not say there has to be an approval in a plebiscite. They can simply um, uh, try to uh, get it approved, uh, you know, or, or sign it, and then say, "Hey, this is our accord. Now let's have Congress pass the laws to implement it." Um, they may do that. Um, that way, if the no side is unhappy with the changes made, they can just sort of steamroll them because President Santos's coalition controls both houses of Congress. The downside to that is, A, clearly you don't have the mandate that uh, you know, uh, an overwhelmingly or, or a yes vote would give you in, in a plebiscite, and B, the process takes longer. The process they had envisioned with the plebiscite was as soon as the, that yes won, that there would be a fast-track process where a subset of Congress would actually pass things quickly and get all these accords passed um, so they could start implementing them very quickly. If they do it the regular way, where Congress just takes up all these proposals and the accords and turns them into laws, it has to go through eight debates every two congressional sessions, and you really don't have a green light to start implementing the peace process until June or July at the earliest. Um, maybe the FARC would, uh, would assent to starting the six-month disarmament process before then, but if they're afraid Congress will screw them, maybe they won't. So either way, you're looking at um, um, a delay unless you somehow get a, a referendum again in January or something, which seems uh, awfully complicated to try to do. What does this process say? about the strength of former President Uribe, who was against these accords? Um, it was a, a good outcome for um, Uribe. Uh, he was the most visible, uh, although he was certainly not the only uh, figurehead in the no coalition. Uh, Uribe, you know, he um, is one, obviously uh, a popular figure in Colombia. His approval ratings are still in the 50s, while, while Santos's are in the 20s or 30s. Um, that's that's dead. That's down from the 70s or 80s when he left the presidency, um, but he still has a strong following. However, he has not always done well in elections. His party, uh, the, the Democratic Center, only got about 18 or 19 percent of seats in the Senate and much fewer in the House during the 2014 elections. His candidate for president could not get elected. His party did not do well in 2015 municipal elections, so he doesn't have a lot of coattails. This was the first time that he seemed to have some real coattails on this yes or no votes. His his dominance of news cycles, his dominance of social media, his almost Trump-like ability to get uh, every uh, most outlandish claim uh, to uh, be what we talked about, what Colombians talked about all day uh, that day, um, really did influence strongly how the vote ended up. And now, of course, uh, it was a dramatic moment where you know Uribe and Santos met uh, for the first time in nearly four years uh, to, re to initiate this process of, of trying to hammer out a new accord. Um, so his stock is way up in Colombia, and to be honest, the stock of the left and the social movements that carried so much of the water for the peace um, agreement, including the victims' movements, uh, are down. Uh, Uribe and, and the right and the, the, the large landowners maybe not in the driver's seat yet. I think, for instance, Santos winning the Nobel Prize sort of kept him out of completely having the driver's seat. But boy, are they in a better position than they were before the plebiscite. And so now I, I wonder about the sticking point. What what was, besides having this former president pushing this, I, I wonder about what was the cause. What we hear in the media here in the United States was 
people voted no because they didn't feel that the FARC was punished enough in the process. It, 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 do you, you agree with that? It's a few things, yeah. Uh, the, the, the Accords left very vague what would happen to guerrillas, as well as military and others, but what would happen to guerrillas who were um, guilty of war crimes. It said they would be in a condition of restriction of liberty for five to eight years if they confessed everything they did. Did not define what that meant. How austere would the conditions be? It just made clear that that would not be tantamount to prison. Would they be restricted to you know, a, a state or a department or just a village or a farm? Um, you know, would they? What conditions would they sleep in? What would their telecommunications look like? So many of that left undefined. That left a lot of opening for the no supporters to say, "Hey, this is impunity," as well as some, you know. U.S.-based human rights NGOs to say, hey, this is impunity, this is uh, a, a violation of norms, uh, and it's an insult to the victims. So those are the main arguments that we heard against it, and they seem to have really had a lot of impact. Thank you so much. Adam Isaacson of the Washington Office on Latin America, WOLA, our guest today on Latin Pulse, joining us from Washington, D.C. via Skype. Thank you so much, Adam. My pleasure. Thank you, Rick. And now a programming advisory, Latin Pulse will return to indefinite hiatus after this program, but we hope to return to regular broadcasts sometime in December or in the new year. So thanks for joining us this week for this special edition of Latin Pulse. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's Latin Pulse, all one word, at gmx.com. You can also find our program at the website Latin America Goes Global. You can find that website at Latin America Goes Global, written as all one word, dot O-R-G. If you're looking for earlier editions of our program, we're available in other locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Henty Flow. And as always, you can find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, you can find it at linktv, all one word, dot org, and then slash latin dash pulse. That's linktv.org slash latin dash pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse, and thanks to the production assistance of Sarah Boyd. For associate producer Jim Singer, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2016 Las Rocas Productions.